Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. So it's Easter, and this sermon that I'm going to preach involves Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection from being forsaken to being risen. I'm well aware as I'm getting ready to preach this sermon that it's not like any other Easter sermon I have ever preached. But with that in mind, I'd like us to prepare ourselves for this message. What I would like for you to do is to think about a recent heartfelt dialogue that you had with someone who's extremely important to you. I want you to take a moment and think about that dialogue. In that dialogue, you found yourself bearing and sharing the depths of your soul, maybe with the deepest of emotions. You know that as a result of that deep, soul-bearing, soul-sharing conversation, that your relationship is different now. Now, as you think about that, what would you think if someone outside had listened in? And as we move towards the crucifixion and the resurrection, I want you to know that that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to listen in on conversations that were soul-bearing and soul-sharing. Interestingly enough, Picture the conversation and the dialogue that you just put yourself in with that other person. Could you imagine if the whole world had been invited to listen in? The Gospels do that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John invite us into a conversation that Jesus has with his Father on the cross. It is soul-wrenching. It's revelatory. And it teaches us a lot of things. You see, in the midst of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Gospels invite us in. They invite us to listen, to hear, to feel, to consider, and to hopefully believe. There's going to be another first for this Easter sermon. It's the first time I've ever used the Gospel of Mark. You see, the Gospel of Mark is the the shortest of the Gospels. Some theologians call it the Reader's Digest version of Jesus' life. But how many of us sitting here, you like it when it gets straight and to the point? How many of you like all the colorful and the other, you'd like the other three Gospels? Too bad we're going with Mark. (laughs) You see, the Gospel of Mark brings you what's essential and what's necessary. And everything else is left out, including Christmas. You see, only two of the four Gospels mention the Nativity. But all four Gospels, up to half of the Gospel, focuses on the last week of Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection. I know this is Resurrection Sunday, but you can't get to the resurrection unless you have a death. There must be death before resurrection happens. And so we're going to begin with the crucifixion in the Gospel of Mark. Crucifixion. 
it was so physically painful that the, Roy, the Romans brought in a new word to describe it. It's the word excruciate. How many of you have ever heard that word before? Excruciate. It literally means X or out of the cross. It was so physically painful, they had to coin a new word. While Jesus was in excruciating pain, there were seven things he said from the cross. There were seven. What's interesting to note, the Gospel of Mark only retains one of them. Of the seven, there's only one that mattered to the Gospel of Mark. And it's this, Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of the seven sayings, it's the only one that makes it into the gospel of Mark. And so the truth of it is, this entire week, I've been prayerful and thoughtful about why. Why is it that this one's the most important of the seven sayings? Well, I think it has to do with the word forsaken. Forsaken. What we recognize is in life is there are times when there is a pain that's greater than the physical pain of life. Yes, the cross was excruciating. It was physically horrific, but there was a pain that was greater than that. It was the pain of the soul. It's the pain of being forsaken. I believe on the cross when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That the pain of the soul was greater than the physical pain. And there was something in Jesus' cry that includes us all. Forsaken. It's a Greek word that is a combination of three very short Greek words. In, kata, which is down, and lepo, which is to leave. Forsaken means left in a condition of lack or to be without, to feel forsaken, helpless, left in dire circumstances. You see, forsaken is when what should be is not, what might have been won't be, and what was no longer is, forsaken. I have noticed in three decades of pastoral ministry that when someone is forsaken by another, they always ask why, always. But the question as to why rarely has to do with the other, it has to do with the self. What is it about me that caused that person to forsake me? Here's the other thing. That in three decades of ministry, I've noticed that when human beings feel forsaken by another, that's when we learn the limitations and the frailty of human love. We experience the selfishness and the brokenness of this world. Again, the only thing recorded in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus says is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Those that were around Jesus, some of the religious elite that were crucifying him, had a lot to say to him. The primary thing that they say in the Gospel of Mark is this, you've saved others, now save yourself. In other words, unless you save yourself, you won't be saved. But it's interesting to note that in all four Gospels, Jesus never performs a miracle for himself. And he's not going to do it now. Could it be that the proof of Jesus' love for us is that he stayed on the cross in the midst of his forsakenness? Could it be for the first time in human existence that forsakenness is actually the result of love? The Apostle Paul wrestles with this as he writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Apostle Paul also writes in Romans chapter 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still forsaking Jesus, he was faithful to us. One of my favorite theologians, his name is Stanley Hauerwas. By the way, Stanley has taught at Duke University for many years. Jesus has to forgive him for that. <laughs> but here's what Stanley Hauerwas writes. The cross... The cry of abandonment is not God becoming something other than God. It is not an act of divine self-alienation. Instead, this is the very character of God's kenosis, complete self-emptying made possible by perfect love. Could it be that on the cross, Jesus announces the greatest pain of human existence, forsakenness, when people let us down and human love falls short. The reality of it is, God by his grace has just allowed us to listen in on the most intimate of conversation where Jesus and his heavenly father are speaking to each other. The reality of it is the entire world is invited to come and listen. Now what I want us to do is listen in on a conversation about resurrection. Again, this message is taken from the Gospel of Mark. It's brief, brief and gets straight to the point. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Here's what the text says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter. 
Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. If you were holding a Bible in your hand, you would know that is the end of the Gospel of Mark. That's how the Gospel ends. The Gospel ends with three women trembling and bewildered. The text says the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What's amazing in the Gospel of Mark is we are invited into the conversation the women have as they're going to the tomb. Isn't it interesting? Their concern is who will roll the stone away for us. The Gospel of Mark tells us it's a large stone. The reality of it is, the women had also been forsaken. You see, up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, the three heroes of the faith are Peter, James, and John. But now the three heroes are Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. The three men have abandoned Jesus. They have run for their lives, and only the women remain. But their concern is about the stone. They're approaching the tomb of Jesus with human limitations. I believe their vocalization does that for all of us. You see, the gospel calls all of us to stand in front of the tomb of Jesus as humans limited. What's interesting to note is that can you imagine the entire movement of Jesus is now down to three women. Everyone else is gone. Can you imagine, of all the thousands of people that Jesus had ministered to and healed and blessed and loved, they're all gone. There's only three women that remain. By the way, some intellectuals will admit this is why they believe the Gospels have not been revised. Because in the ancient world, women are not to be the heroes. In a court of law, a woman's word cannot be held as true unless her husband stands next to her. And here we have the Gospel of Mark ends with three women that have been faithful. They have walked with Jesus to the very end. But what's interesting to me is their concern is about the stone. The text again tells us that it's a heavy stone, it's a large stone. And look, the purpose for a gravestone is to make sure that life and death always stay separated. Death on that side of the stone, life on that side of the stone. And the heavy stone makes sure those two never meet. But the story of the resurrection is, is that they did that the stone is rolled away, and for the first time ever, life and death come together in Jesus. And the text tells us that he was risen. In every sermon that's preached here at City, we always have what's called feet to your faith. It's a practical way of walking out what we're hearing from the Scriptures. 
It's interesting to note that in this story, the angel literally tells the women how to put feet to their faith. But before we get to that, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In conjunction with death. I thought about, over the past three decades as a pastor, I've had people that have wanted to meet with me and they'll meet with me in their study. And I'm my study. And in my study, they're filled with grief. And someone that they deeply, deeply love has passed away recently. And I've noticed something that people have said in grief that surprised me. And here's what they'd say. They'd say, Pete, I feel like when that person died, they forsook me. I know they died, but I feel forsaken by them. They died, and they left me, and now I feel forsaken. Let me explain something carefully. For the first time in Jesus, death leaves people not forsaken. For the first time in Jesus, death is not the final word. In Jesus Christ and in his resurrection, we find that we are not forsaken in death, but there truly is life after death. And this is what these women discover. They come to the tomb. They've been forsaken by the disciples, no doubt felt let down by Jesus And they come to the tomb, and the angel says, he's no longer forsaken, he's now risen. He's risen. The apostle Paul chimes in in 1 Corinthians 15.55, where he announces, where, O death, is your victory, where, O death, is your sting. In Jesus, those who are forsaken by others find healing and wholeness. Again, could it be for the very first time on the cross that people or someone being forsaken was out of love, deep love, the most important kind of love? What also fascinates me is that when the angel says to the disciples, I want you to go and tell, or tells the three women, I want you to go and tell the disciples, and then this angel adds this phrase, but go tell his disciples and Peter. By the way, Peter is the second best name in all of the Bible after Jesus, just in case you didn't know. It's a theological fact. My son, who's a theologian and is here this morning, would agree with that assessment. His name's Peter, too. But what interests me is here, the angel says to the women, go tell the disciples and who? You want to know why? Because Peter had forsaken Jesus. Jesus had told him he would. In Mark chapter 14, verse 31, Peter comes to Jesus and says, I will never forsake you. I will never disown you. And Jesus says to Peter, yes, you will. You will disown me three times. And then the rooster will crow. You can call it forsaking or you can call it disowning. It's the exact same thing. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus... There's something that happens to forsakenness. 
The angel knows that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, have now discounted Peter. He's no longer a disciple. Because he disowned Jesus, he had forsaken Jesus. Three times he said, I do not know him. But the angel is careful to explain the gospel well. Go and tell the disciples and Jesus that he is risen. The gospel of Mark ends with three women. They are trembling and bewildered. And the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. As I look at that ending to the gospel of Mark, I want to tell Mark he should have added some things. Mark, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you tell the rest of the story? And here's why. I believe it ends here for this simple reason. If Jesus is resurrected, you won't stop it anyway. If Jesus is truly raised from the dead, and oh, by the way, he is. But if he is raised from the dead, you won't stop it. And how profound it is to start a movement with three women who are absolutely afraid and bewildered. What a great way to start something. No one in leadership in their right mind would start this this way. But Jesus does. The idea here is, is that in Christ, somehow, some way, through the resurrection, forsakenness is absolved in him and absorbed in him. You see, in Jesus, what should be now can truly be. What might have been now has a chance. And what wasn't now has resurrection hope. You see, in the end, God does not forsake Jesus. Jesus goes from forsaken to risen. And Peter preaches this in his inaugural sermon. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, here's what Peter preaches. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Could it be that there is now a Jesus-sized hole in the midst of hell and death in the grave? There is also a Jesus-sized hole in forsakenness. If you are sitting here and you've ever been forsaken and your soul bears the wounds of that, so does Jesus. But in him, there's a risenness. The moment of Jesus' forsakenness became his greatest moment. And I believe in Christ through the resurrection, the same can be true for you. Would you stand with me? As we stand together, I'd like us to take a moment and close our eyes in God's presence. The greatest pain on the cross was not physical. It was the forsakenness that Jesus experienced. As we stand into God's presence together, 
Can we take a moment from the depths of our soul and step into a conversation with God and with Christ? That we would take a moment and stand again in the opening of that empty tomb. And the stone that was there to make sure that death and life remain separated has now been removed in Jesus. We find that life wins because of his resurrection.